I am so excited for this conversation. It is so cool to see the amount of innovation and collaboration that has happened in such an uncommon time during the pandemic. So it's wonderful to be with Dr. Fabio Potenti from the Cleveland Clinic and Chris Goff from Intel. So thank you both. I want to start off our conversation by acknowledging that 2020 was the year that telehealth adoption really began to take off. And, you know, Fabio, how did that impact your work? And Chris, then want to hear about how it impacted yours as well. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on this uh, podcast. It's really, really good to have the opportunity to talk about the collaboration that we've had with Intel, trying to um, facilitate the adoption of this new technology in, in such a needed time. I think that the COVID and the pandemic has made it easier in a sense to adopt this new technology because the need to interact with patients without face-to-face -face contact became obvious. Remote monitoring and, uh, and virtual visits were already in the work for many years, but with a lot of obstacles, mostly from payers that they were really willing or able to, to pay for these visits. But then all of a sudden, with the pandemic, all, a lot of the restrictions were uh, removed and we were able to just jump into it uh, with both feet. And um, we worked with a company to acquire some, some of these um, remote monitoring devices with the help of Intel. And uh, we have launched them in, in a number of, I think, with 50 patients total that we have, we're using them on. And uh, we're, we're seeing how the, the impact has been clear where we can see a number of patients at home and, and see how they respond to treatment and monitor their, their progress in therapy. Now, at the beginning, uh, when we wanted to use them strictly for COVID patients, we had some challenges. Challenges mostly due to the fact that it was a new process, a new workflow. Doctors weren't used to it. Patients weren't used to it. And the physicians were so busy in the pandemic time that it seemed like we we're adding a step, not a thing to do in the care of these patients. So adoption by physician has been, I think, a bit of a challenge. Interesting. I want to come back to that in just a second. but. Chris, please tell us a little bit how the telehealth adoption has really impacted your work. Sure, thanks, Anne. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it sort of feels like we've been on the cusp of telehealth taking up in a big way for, for decades now. And it, of course, it finally happened in, in 2020. We have a policy team that, that lobbies governments to, to make more widespread use of telehealth capabilities. But this last year, 2020, the Priority of telehealth rose dramatically with inside Intel in order to respond to the to the more widespread use. We have a task force across the company to look at how our technology can can improve telehealth. And one of the ways we're you know our, of course we're in the compute and the networking and the storage that we we power the telehealth solutions that are deployed today. But we're we're very excited about infusing intelligence into these solutions. So analytics predictive modeling, you know, much like we saw with electronic health records when we moved from paper to, to EHR, once that data is stored digitally and you collect it for some period of time, then you have the opportunity to analyze that data, analyze historic data for trends, 
and really help address some of the, the challenges around you know the aging of our population and caregiver shortage and so on. Got it. So Fabio, you, you alluded to this, so let's drill down a little bit in terms of how patients with COVID were just presenting some challenges in terms of using remote monitoring for them. So obviously you and Intel Clinic and Intel collaborated in terms of helping patients during the pandemic. And it sounds like the focus may not have been on people with COVID, but other populations. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I think that COVID presented a couple of challenges. First of all, we did not know the evolution of disease very well. So a lot of physicians didn't really feel comfortable watching patients at home, even with the remote monitoring as much. So we, we ended up using, I think, remote monitoring only for patients that were clearly doing well, because we didn't know how fast they would crash at home and, and we didn't really feel comfortable using it in, in this kind of an, an uncertain population of patients. Second, the, the pandemic impacted us so rapidly that resources in the hospital, caregivers in the hospital were really taken, they were really busy doing all sorts of work and, and feeding patients with remote devices became kind of a second thought. So a lot of times we're busy doing something else and patients that could have been sent home with a, with a remote monitor just didn't go home because we were, doing, we were busy doing something else. And so we quickly realized that this was a, uh, a project that would be fitted better for chronic patients, patients with heart failure, patients with uh, respiratory failure, that where, where they were uh, seen in the office, where the remote monitor could be planned and where they had the support at home to help them with the, uh, with the monitoring. Because the other thing is that patients with COVID often would go home and be isolated. So they wouldn't have a lot of family around to, if they didn't know how to use the device, to show them how to use the device. The um, visiting nurses often were accessible into the home because of the use of PPEs. And, and so I, I didn't think that the, that the COVID population was a good start. We didn't have the processes and the support of personnel in place to make this work at the beginning. I think now it would probably be different because we have evolved and we, we have developed some, some process around it. But I think that we have learned that the chronic patients for heart failure and respiratory failure are probably the best ones to be monitored at home with uh, good remote monitoring. And I think to, to echo what, what Chris just said, the beauty of it is that we can build intelligence behind it, artificial intelligence behind it, that can take some of the burden from the physicians and from the caregivers, which are now receiving all this huge amount of data, which are unfiltered and un uncurated, and, and they're kind of drinking from this fire hose of data constantly, and they feel the pressure of missing something. They're afraid that someday a, a strip, EKG strip will come through and they'll miss it. And then some bad outcome will result and, and they, they went unmonitored, right? So it's important that we have a, a, a way for the patients at risk. So an artificial intelligence device that puts patients at risk with trending bad outcomes up at the top 
of the list of patients where they can be monitored. And this, this is happening already in the hospital. We have that already where patients that are monitored in the hospital, they get flagged if the vital signs are deteriorating. And so the same can be done outside for, for patient monitor at home. But, but I think that's what, certainly one thing we have learned. That's tremendous. And, and I think, you know, two points that you're making. One was that physicians weren't comfortable with the course of the disease early on. And I recall hearing how people were iterating on the fly that they were going back and forth across institutions every week or two weeks to moderate or modify their, their treatment of patients. So this focus on chronic patients without COVID, but having other chronic conditions seems brilliant. And then as Chris suggested, the introduction of AI. Chris, anything you wanna add to that in terms of how technology was deployed to keep people, especially patients with chronic conditions safe at home? Uh, Sure, yeah, thanks, Anne. Yeah, we, last year, Intel, Intel put a program in place called our Pandemic Response Technology Initiative. This was a $50 million fund to, to apply technology to, to help with a pandemic across health and life sciences, of course. And that, this is how we, in part, collaborated with the Cleveland Clinic, remote learning and reopening the economy. And if I, if I double-click on health and life sciences, the, the focus is on re- response, so responding immediately to the pandemic, readiness, so preparing for future waves of the pandemic or future pandemics, and then prevention, which tended to focus on uh, accelerating vaccine development or more um, therapeutic development. And I would say, if you look across all the, the hundreds of projects that we value that we we looked at, telehealth was easily the top category. And it wasn't, as Fabio suggested, and as was discussed earlier in this call, telehealth for COVID patients. It was really just trying to enable, in general, care at a distance. Uh, protecting the, the caregivers, protecting the patients, and limiting exposure uh, or that physical contact to minimize the chance of the infection spreading. And, and this is true both for remote patient monitoring, as we're talking about here, but then also very importantly, inpatient. So even in, in the hospital with virtual ICUs and other capabilities to, to really enable that care at a distance. So that's, that, that was um, what we saw as well based on the, the, our interaction with the healthcare ecosystem um, over the past year. Got it. So Chris, what did you learn as a result of this collaboration with the Cleveland Clinic? Were there any challenges that you didn't foresee? I mean, obviously you guys were so committed to doing the right thing and innovation. Did something happen or pop up? Yeah, yeah. Expect? Yeah, there's, there's a couple um, key challenges. They're not, I wouldn't say they're entirely unexpected. And I, I think Fabio can go in more detail on these. But one is, is really just around user experience. So obviously the, the typical chronic disease patient is not, you know, a 20-year-old tech uh, <laughs> savvy uh, person. You know, these are in general old, older patients that aren't, you know, they use technology, but they're maybe not, uh, you know, sort of on the cutting edge. So how, how can we make it more usable over time, more seamless, more, you know, the invisibility sort of, or the um, technology sort of fades into the background, ideally. But then also, um, you know, as, as Fabio touched on, how can, how can you enable telehealth or, and this is true really of any technology, where you minimize disruption to the, to the existing clinical workflow? 
So that that has to do with integrating into the electronic health record versus requiring, you know, multiple applications for the clinician to interact with. And, you know, maybe Fabio could talk about how even some clinicians are, are dedicated to this monitoring these patients as opposed to trying to pull them off whatever they're doing and take a, you know, take a video call with a patient who might be who might be remote. But yeah, the clinical workflow and using the technology, I would say. Yeah. Great. Fabio, please. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. And I think that uh, you made a couple of very interesting points that I would like to kind of highlight. One, one is that even though the deployment for COVID patients of this remote monitoring was not, I wouldn't say it was 100% successful. What was successful was the fact that we were able to deploy it in a patient population which is susceptible to to COVID and vulnerable to COVID and may have really exposed themselves from traveling. So deploying in, in, a, uh, in a population which is, uh, you know, the heart failures and respiratory failure and monitor them at home, limiting exposure, limiting traveling has really impacted from pr protecting that population from COVID. So in a, in a sense, the deployment for in the COVID pandemic has served a purpose for that particular, for this particular condition of, of COVID. In fact, and the second point is that, yes, it, it is challenging, especially in, in, in a patient population that are not very tech savvy, savvy, this new appliances and devices, the way they're they are built today, the way they're built today where you still need to connect either with the Bluetooth or wirelessly to a, a platform and then, or have uh, a cell phone, they may have or may not have good coverage in certain areas. I think offers a challenge for certain patients. And and you know, in full disclosure, I was a COVID patient with the remote monitoring, so <laughs> I, I tried it on myself. And it was it, for me, it was easy. But of course, you know, I understand it and I've used it. But I can see for somebody who's maybe a little older, uh, maybe less tech savvy, and maybe not having access to the same bandwidth that I have in my in my house and now in my boat or um, communication may, may have been a bit of a challenge. So I, I share that. And, and so this is uh, clearly, Chris, I, I really I agree with you 100%. This may be, a, has been a problem, but a success overall, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So given your experiences, both of you, what areas of telehealth do you believe are most promising going forward? Abio, you wanna take it first? Sure. Well, I, I see telehealth now in in three different successful successful employing in three different environments. One, of course, is for those patients that require of a visit in general, telehealth in general, for those patients that require a visit to schedule a procedure. And we see that very, very well deployed in, for example, somebody wants to schedule a colonoscopy instead of driving to the hospital, seeing the patient. And to hear that they need a colonoscopy, they have a phone call, uh, a video call, and go over all the all the pros and cons of the procedure, and 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 then come to the office, come to the hospital the day for surgery. So that so preoperatively, I think, is a great deployment. After surgery, for patients that have had, for example, a some orthopedic procedures, they can follow up in a week or two and show the doc that they move their limbs, uh, their range of motion, and that's. And that is, uh, you know, used now pretty widely here at the clinic and very successfully. 
And then thirdly, and more, and more important for, this, for today's conversation, I think it's really the, the chronic patient. The chronic patient, that, the heart failure patient that goes home and you know, the day after Thanksgiving has had a couple of extra tablespoons of salt and you know, they, they get on the scale, they gain weight, the impedance on the scale tells, tells the, the water content in, in, in the body is, is a little higher, the blood pressure is changed, and the heart rate is a little higher or a little lower, and, and, you, and, and the doctor can, can monitor the patient from home and then know that, look, you know, you better increase your dose of, of diuretics or maybe you need a trip to, to, the, to the office. So these are the three groups that I think are, are going to be the low-hanging fruits for, for this technology. What, one of the um, aspects of this project that intrigued me was that some patients that were having their vitals monitored at home would have otherwise been in the hospital having their vitals monitored. And yeah. I think if you look at, you know, maybe longer term and, and the trend, more, I think more acute monitoring, more, more acute procedure, or not procedures, but more acute services will be offered or can be offered in the home as, as the technology evolves and the comfort level evolves. You know, there's the, there's the hospital at home model that is, is emerging. So, you know, shifting, shifting service, acute services that are having in the hospital day into the home. Patients would, would rather stay there, you know, in the home. There's, there's opportunity to, to reduce costs and improve, you know, reduce readmissions, some studies have shown. And from a tech perspective, I think moving from, you know, for today, what today is really taking, make a, couple, a few discrete measurements a day and sending those up to the cloud, you know, more streaming telemetry. So with 5G and other capabilities, being able to increase sophistication and reliability of the data that is being collected, moving from maybe a periodic to something that looks more continuous. It's very exciting. It's an interesting prospect. So given what you see as most promising areas, what's next for your collaboration? If I'll take this. So I think that next for our collaboration and in general for healthcare, is the, the growth of different, a different workforce of people that are, uh, they get, they really learn how to use this technology. Physicians that are going to train and become what's kind of already, that already has a name, the virtualist, the doctor who's, uh, who has developed skills to monitor patients remotely and, and capture more signs and symptoms just, just on a screen rather than on, on a real exam. And a group of uh, other caregivers that, that home health nurses, for example, that can help us monitor and, and go to the home when needed. I think it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful thing. I think it's gonna help us to take the patient outside of the hospital and keep them outside the hospital longer. And thirdly, as, as Chris mentioned, the, the integration and development of new devices, especially with 5G, I think uh, the ability to have a smaller device with a longer battery life, something that can be fitted on the patient in an office or in the, in the hospital that can stay on the patient, that can send data almost seamlessly across the whole journey without being tethered to the, to the, to the home, to their Wi-Fi network and support it, and this is the essential component, I think, where, where Intel can really make a difference, supported by robust artificial intelligence that can take 
the monitoring of data outside of the, the physician and, and provide the physician with, with really English spoken language that says this patient is not doing well, <laughs> rather than just analyzing and sorting through a number of, of, of data points. Uh, yeah, because patients do want to be mobile ultimately, right? We, we love our homes, but not that much. Right. Chris, anything to add in terms of what you're seeing? I think Fabio did a great job touching all the points, uh, you know, just, just reinforcing the, the AI comment. I mean, much like we've seen, I would say in population health, maybe a little more focused on inpatient, where you've got predictive analytics. So predicting, for example, which patients are most likely to be readmitted within 30 days using historic data or predicting which patients are most likely to be, to be moved into the ICU or intubated. I think the same technology, the same opportunity exists for remote, remotely monitored patients. And like Fabio said, you know, instead of drinking from the fire, fire hose, perhaps getting a sorted list of patients based on um, risk, risk scores, risk of, of um, you know, something bad happening, let's say, so that we can, as an as a industry, uh, intervene proactively for those patients that need it uh, and prevent negative outcomes before they happen. Got it. So even though you guys have enjoyed incredible collaboration, and I'm assuming that the outcomes and, and, and other metrics that you're monitoring are, are going to be terrific, acceptance is growing, but there's still barriers. So can each of you address what you see as the most significant barrier to adoption going forward and, and what we might do about that? Because you paint a beautiful future based on your experiences. So love to hear what the barriers are and how we might get around them. I can, I can take a crack first, Anne. Mm -hmm. one, one barrier we see that we haven't talked about yet is essentially the digital divide. So not, not everyone has, as you know, I think Fabio mentioned, uh, bandwidth. Not everybody has the same access to good, good connections, Wi-Fi devices, depending on the specific case you're talking about. Rural areas, for example, are harder to get good connection and good, good technology. And so that is, is definitely one challenge that, that Intel as a company wants to address. We have um, our 10-year RISE goals as a company, which stands for Responsible, Inclusive, Sustainable, and Enabling Those Things. And from a health and life sciences perspective, addressing the digital divide is certainly one of the priorities across that. So as a company, we're working to, to address that. Um, but, I, but I do see that as a challenge is, is making sure that everyone has access to the capabilities they need to enable robust telehealth. Couldn't agree more. Fabio, what, what do you see? Yeah, nothing to add to what Chris said, except the challenges are also probably somewhat economic in the in the business of healthcare having the payers continue to support this uh, they relax their their payment models in the face of the pandemic and hopefully it won't they will not backpedal in the future when when the pandemic gets resolved but use this platform to launch forward and understand that overall this is added value both for patients for, for the organizations that provide care, hospitals, for the payers and overall for society that, that will, uh, in general, I think, uh, provide better health care 
deliver in the home and, and learn, I think, I think what we're gonna learn with these devices, I think in the future, how habits really guide your care, guide, guide your health, right? So we will be able to see monitoring this patient, the ones that, that, don't, that don't walk around the home, the ones that have spikes in, uh, in blood pressure after meals, will learn that their habits are really impacting their healthcare and we'll be able to better guide them in, in, uh, in healthier habits for better health. Oh, excellent point. So let's say we're sitting down together, we're having a reunion a year from now. What do things look like? What a, where, where are we in this now? And where do you expect this industry to go? Fabio. I think that um, in the future, and this is obviously borderline, <laughs> borderline science fiction a little bit here, but, but I think we'll, this uh, get, getting untethered from, uh, from wired monitors will, will allow a couple of things. I see, I see, especially with 5G inside a hospital, I see getting away from, from having these rooms that are just ICUs and just beds and just uh, regular med surge beds where there'll be more flexibility moving patients around because you'll be able to monitor and uh, regardless of their, of their location in a hospital. And then having hospitals outside of the immediate vicinity of said the university of the tertiary quaternary care hospital, having communication with the docs, so remote, remote visits within a hospital where we can do uh, remote monitoring of, I, we, we already have the EICU, for example, in, in the clinical system, but having that extended automatically and seamlessly to transfer to rehabs, to SNFs, to uh, other type of subacute care places, and then eventually home. In a, in a seamless corridor, all connected to 5G with, with uh, devices that are going to be hopefully smaller and more capable and, and, and uh, with longer lasting batteries. Great, Chris. I think the opportunity in the next few years, you know, I'll take it from, a, from a, bit of, a bit of a technology angle, is really using the data to become more, more proactive and less reactive. So I'd love to see a telehealth command center that is enabled with AI and predictive analytics uh, that is, has used historic data to identify uh, high-risk patients across, across the various modes of telehealth we've discussed today um, so that the scarce resources can be applied where they're most needed and not sort of peanut buttered evenly across every patient that, that is um, you know, hooked up to the system, as, as it were. Those are wonderful conclusions from both of you. And again, it is so wonderful to hear the stories and to hear how your collaboration has worked for both clinicians and consumers, patients, and very consistent with the ATA's vision that people get care where and when they need it. And that when they do, they know it's safe, effective, and appropriate. So we so appreciate your support and work on everyone's behalf. Thank you for a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it very much.